to 11. So this is week 43. We're going to start the first half of chapter 12. And there are some really nice questions for chapter 11. Let's see. You all have that in front of you, or, or do you want me to just review it? Does anybody have those answers from last week? Or? Okay. So feel free to jump in. Um, the first question is, why are devotees not very much interested in seeing the Lord's universal form? So Srila Prabhupada says in the purport to Bhagavad Gita 1149, the purpose of the revelation of the universal form was shown. Now Arjuna wanted to see the forearm form, and Krishna showed him. A devotee is not much interested in the universal form, for it does not enable one to reciprocate loving feelings. Either a devotee wants to offer his respectful worship feelings, worshipful feelings, or he wants to see the two-handed Krishna form so that he can reciprocate loving service with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And then Prabhupada says in 1154, The universal form is not attractive for pure devotees who are in love with the Lord in different transcendental relationships. The Supreme Godhead exchanges transcendental love in his original form of Krishna. Therefore, to Arjuna, who is so intimately related with Krishna and friendship, this form of the universal manifestation was not pleasing. Rather, it was fearful. Arjuna, who was a constant companion of Krishna's, must have had transcendental eyes. He was not an ordinary man. Therefore, he was not captivated by the universal form. This form may seem wonderful to persons who are involved in elevating themselves by fruitive activities, but to persons who are engaged in devotional service, the two-handed form of Krishna is the most dear. And then the question is, how can one understand and see Lord Krishna's two-armed personal form known as Shamasunda? What would you say? Devotional service. Right, correct. Through eyes anointed with the love of Godhead. Do you have anything, Krishna? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, in one fifty four actually. Uh, it's uh, my dear Arjuna. Arjuna, uh, only by undivided devotional service can I understand. Uh, can I can I be understood as I am? standing before you and can thus uh, be seen directly. Only in this way can you enter into the, uh, the mysteries of my understanding. And then 1155 report, it actually says, there are hundreds and thousands of, of, um, of Vishnus, uh, but for a, a devotee, no form um, is important as the, as the uh, Krishna is important, but the original form, two-handed, Shamasandar, uh, and Brahma Samhita, it is stated that those who are attached to the uh, Shamsundar form of Krishna in love and devotion can see him always within the heart and cannot see anything else. Jai. So that form becomes all the devotee really longs for. Um, so, oh, Prabhupada describes that we need to attain that knowledge from, from the Guru. So he says, to hear about Krishna from authorities, that is the actual Vedic process. And those who are actually in the Vedic line hear about Krishna from authority. And by repeating hearing about him, Krishna becomes dear. As we have several times discussed, Krishna is covered by his yoga maya potency. He is not to be seen or revealed to anyone and everyone. Only by one to whom he reveals himself can he be seen. 
This is confirmed in Vedic literature, for one who has surrendered soul, the absolute truth, can actually be understood. A transcendentalist, by continuous Krishna consciousness and by devotional service to Krishna, can have his spiritual eyes opened and can see Krishna by revelation. Such a revelation is not possible even for the demigods. Therefore, it is difficult even for the demigods to understand Krishna, and the advanced demigods are always in hope of seeing Krishna in his two-handed form. The conclusion is that although to see the universal form of Krishna is very, very difficult and not possible for anyone and everyone, it is still more difficult to understand his personal form as Sri Hoshama Sundar. So, through devotional service given by the spiritual master, hearing from the Vedic authorities, then Krishna reveals himself to us. And then, quote a verse from the 1154 purport. If you remember, that was a really long, beautiful purport by Prabhupada. <laughs> extremely long. Which shows that Lord Krishna is the original Supreme Personality of Godhead. And if you want to be able to convince an impersonalist, then you can simply read this purport. <laughs> I'm kidding. Does anybody have a verse that they picked out from that? Krishna. That one? Yeah. Anandira Govinda Sarvakaram Karanam. Yes. The Supreme Personality of God is Krishna, who is a body of eternity, knowledge, and bliss. He is no beginning, for he is the beginning of everything. He is the cause of all causes. Yes. Probably quoted that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anybody else? Let's pick out a verse. I want to share. From, um, these are from the questions from last week. Oh, so we didn't get to. So we're just doing a quick review. Well, uh, Prabhupada, no, Prabhupada gave um, different devotion verses pointing towards Krishna as being the supreme god. Oh, and, uh, and, the and the purport to 1154. Okay. Yeah. Let's see, I have one here. It is Krishna Yalikshta Karine Namo Vedanta Vedyaya Gurave Bhuri Sakshine. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Krishna, who is a transcendental form of bliss, eternity, and knowledge. I offer my respect to him because understanding him means understanding the Vedas, and he is therefore the supreme spiritual master. And that's from the Gopal Tapani Upanishad. Okay. So the last question. Says which verse from this section is considered the essence of the Gita and why? <laughs> you remember which verse it was? Yeah. Yes. Anybody want to have the verse in front? They want to quote it? Sure. Okay. My dear Arjuna, he who engages in my pure devotional service, free from the contamination of fruitive activities and mental speculation, he who works for me who makes me the supreme goal of his life, and who is friendly to every living being, he certainly comes to me. Uh, just in your own words, can you express why that is the, Prabhupada said that is the essence? Because it encompasses everything about devotional service. In one verse right there. Mm-hmm. It's just the, it's the essence of it all. It's like the whole package. The whole package. One little... You could read that one verse and just follow that, you'd be fine. Anybody else have any comments on that last verse? I don't think I'm going to go as far as saying that's the essence of the Vedas. That's the whole essence of the Vedas. You're going to say that? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to say that. Yeah, you're correct. Because Prabhupada also said that. (laughs) (laughs) 
No doubt. Yes, the Prabhupada, he said, the whole process is laid out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he said, Bhagavad Gita is a book directed to the conditioned souls who are engaged in the material world with the purpose of lording it over nature, and who do not know of the real spiritual life. The Bhagavad Gita is meant to show how one can understand his spiritual existence and his eternal relationship with the Supreme Personality and to teach one how to go back home, back to Godhead. Now, here in this verse, which clearly explains the process by which one can attain success in his spiritual activity, devotional service. Yeah. And he goes on in that 1155 report to say, anyone who wants to approach the Supreme of all the personalities of Godhead, on Krishna Loka planet, Krishna Loka's planet, in the spiritual sky, and be immediately connected with the Supreme Personality Krishna, must take this formula, as stated by the Supreme Himself. Therefore, this verse is considered to be the essence of Bhagavad Gita. Thank you. Okay, I kind of like that format of review. Maybe if we run out of time, we can do that the following week. So bring your quick Q and A with you. You all like that format. It also gives us a little bit more time for discussion and not to feel so rushed. <laughs> Anybody like to share a discovery? For the for twelve more? Yeah. Last last week? Last week did we like to which verses to read did you send me? Problem did, did you all get that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe it just got It happens. Yeah, that happened to me. That's how I was having a question. Oh, I see. Oh. So the, uh, the quote I took, the uh, discovery I had, was uh, 12.2. The Supreme Personality, again, there's so many in here. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the Supreme Personality of Godhead said, Those who fix their minds on my personal form and are always engaged in worshiping me with great and transcendental faith are considered by me to be most perfect. And um, let's see. And actually, the, you know, I, I tried to think in my own words um, as far as the understanding, but to be honest, uh, Shri Prabhupada and his report just. I was kind of writing on my own. I said, well, that's just what he said. So I'll just use what he said because it's just, it's just perfect. Um, he says in the purport, in answer to Adjurna's question, Krishna clearly says that he who concentrates upon his personal form who worships him with faith and devotion is to be considered most perfect in yoga. For one in such Krishna consciousness, there is no material activities because everything is done for Krishna. A pure devotee is constantly engaged. Sometimes he chants, sometimes he hears or reads books about Krishna, or sometimes he cooks prasadam, or goes to the marketplace to purchase something for Krishna, or sometimes he washes the temple or the dishes. Whatever he does, he does not let a single moment pass without devoting his activities to Krishna. Such action is in full samadhi. So, um, as far as my application of that is... um, Every day when I wake, I chant and offer my obeisances to Guru and Srila Prabhupada. My day continues to be in service to Guru and Lord Krishna in all things that I do, always taking moments throughout the day to keep my mind engaged in thinking of Lord Krishna, be it to chant a round or two, hearing the holy names through recorded kirtan, or read a verse or two from the Vedic scriptures. 
it is my mind and, and constant thoughts of Lord Krishna all the time? No. But each day offers another opportunity to do better. And maybe one day, through Lord Krishna's grace, my mind will no longer falter and I will remain totally absorbed in only thoughts of him. See, thank you. One year for Ratiatra, his Vaisheshika Kaprabhu comes up with some really nice slogans. And one, day, one year he had a little sticker for everybody that said, Always better service. And uh, that was especially inspiring to me because Rude also discusses how when you love somebody, you would always increase that, that offering. You always want to do better. Rude says we need to polish, polish it up, polish that offering up. <laughs> and um, so there's it, never, like in, in spiritual life, there's never a moment where we think, like, I've attained the pinnacle and, and I'm, I'm good. We always feel like, like uh, when I worked for this trim carpenter growing up, he said, I'm only as good as my last job. That's what he told me. He's like, I might have done like great work, but if I messed up my last job, then, you know, like in other words, you have to keep on doing, keeping that standard so that you can you know, achieve more. So in the same way, we always feel like next time I can do better. You know, next round, I can, I can focus better. Next um, devotional service that I've offered, I make, I can make it better. So, uh, continuous cycle of improvement. <laughs> and it's sweet, it's the nature of the soul, it's not a burden on the soul. It's something like, naturally we want to do good and better, so. It's not meant to be stress-inducing, though sometimes it can be. <laughs> like with Mother Yashodai. So. Who would like to share? So you didn't do this week because okay, <laughs> but you can still feel free to share if you if you have anything messages you like. I really liked uh, verse 9. I mean, all of them are sweet, right? But this verse is cool too. My dear Arjuna, O winner of wealth, if you cannot fix your mind upon me with, without deviation, then follow the regulative principles of bhakti yoga. In this way, develop a desire to attain me. So I just wrote something down and I said, do we truly desire to attain Krishna? And I put, not always the case. At first. Because um, we may take up this Krishna conscious process. We may, we, may, we may take up this process. And the intention for taking up this process might not necessarily be because we want to develop love for God. Typically in the beginning it's usually because we're trying to get some kind of benefit from it. Um, a lot of times. More often than not in the beginning. It's like, whoa. I can get something from this process. It's not so much um, I'm going to fall in love um, in the beginning. But this process is so sublime that as one practices regularly and makes it a part of their, of their lifestyle, then eventually one can begin to develop love for God. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. 
because Krishna understands this. So therefore, he's laying out all the different ways that one can eventually attain that level of, of Krishna consciousness where we want to have Krishna, where we want to possess Krishna. Um, and um, it's really nice that he gives, he gives these different options to get there. And not that rules and regulations and following things aren't, aren't, aren't important, they, they are. Um, but eventually when one gets to that platform of, of love for God, it's not so much about following rules anymore. One has, 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 has gone beyond that. He's, he's, uh, he's developed this absolutely beautiful love for God, and I hope to get there one day um, to the point where I can always feel just madly in love with Krishna. Um, at that point, there's a change of heart. There's a change of consciousness. Everything changes. It's, as Prabhupada says here, you, you begin to live in Krishna, as he says in, in the Eighth Purport. In the beginning, you know, we have to really, you know, focus on following the regs and, and really staying focused and doing all the right things so that we can get to that platform. But eventually, what's really beautiful and um, what gives all the devotees a lot of hope is that we can get there. If we just stay focused, if we practice this process of, of bhakti yoga to a T, if we follow, um, you know, the advice, the, the prescription that has been laid out, then we can eventually get to the point where we can love Krishna and, and have this strong desire to, to attain Him. Um, yeah. Because the love of God is in everyone's heart naturally, so it's just this reawakening process. It's already there. It's just covered over by so much nonsense. You know, this desire to, to love, you know, Maya, you know, to attain Maya has, has taken the place of this beautiful love to, to, to attain Krishna. Um, so we can get there, but we have to purify the senses. We have to practice sincerely. And with the grace and mercy of, of Krishna and our spiritual master and with serving the devotees nicely, I, I feel like we can, we have a shot. We can get there. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And that means that we attain this detachment naturally when we engage in devotional service. Mm. Attain realized knowledge and detachment. So, like Govinda Madhavan was saying, you know, you reach a point where it doesn't become a struggle anymore to give up things that get in the way of devotional service. And we actually all have some realization of that, right? From giving up different things like eating, for instance. Mm -hmm. That's one example, it's an easy example. But there comes a point where it's not like you have to struggle anymore. Mm -hmm follow a regular principle, right? I'm not struggling anymore to keep myself a human being. It becomes something that is abominable. So transcending the, the scriptures, the rules and regulations isn't based on um, reverting to simple activities on the strength of practicing devotional service, but it's you don't have any desire for these things anymore. And therefore, you're, you have a whole shift in how you operate in the world. Right? There's no need for those things. 
It's not even a question. It's not even an option for us. It's, it becomes like obsolete to us. Like there's a whole world of devotees that doesn't, doesn't even exist. There's so many things going on, but to us they don't even exist. <laughs> you know? There's so many websites we can go to, so many TV shows people are watching. Like the whole society. But for devotees it doesn't even exist. So um, so we can see it's, 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 a, it's a journey, but we can see that Krishna is giving us that detachment, right? Remember we don't have full detachment, Maybe we don't have detachment in the way that we want completely, but we do have some detachment, right? We can see. So we can see the process works, right? Yeah. It's worked in different ways for us already. So. <laughs> yeah. And you know, one thing that I was thinking about is that if, if our motivation remains on that platform where it's just simply all about us, then it's so easy for us to get derailed. You know what I mean? Because the motivation isn't deep enough. But when the motivation becomes deeper, you know, the desire to want to please Krishna is, is like the deepest that you can go. And at that point, it's like if I let my, my beloved down, it's like it, it breaks my heart. So, so the desire to want to finish what we started is, is fortified by this love that we have for Krishna, by this deep, intense longing to have Krishna, as opposed to well, it's all about me, and I can get this and that out of it. I can get mukti, or you know what I'm saying? I can get this or that out of it. And, but that can change tomorrow. It's so fickle if it's just based off of me. But when it's based off of something more like Krishna, you know, then it's, it's like anchored. So I was thinking about that too. Yeah. That the necessity of having that right. connection and affection for the Lord. Yeah. That dry, dry renunciation, which isn't very strong at all. It's not, it's not a strong foundation. It's just like by the strength of our own willpower, we can overcome. It doesn't work in the long run. But Rudev, you know, sometimes will say, you know, I feel like when I'm preaching, I feel like Krishna's like embracing me. Krishna's, you know, I feel Krishna's embrace. So we get to that point where we feel Krishna's so pleased with our service, and mm-hmm. just want to feel that um, happiness of Krishna, you know, mm-hmm. and actually feel his, mm-hmm. his radiance, his, his smile, you know. Yeah. I chose uh, tech first five. For those whose minds are attached to the unmanifested impersonal feature of the Supreme, advancement is very troublesome. To make progress in that discipline is always difficult for those who are embodied. So, I discovered a lot of it in the the purport, so I'll just share. I'll just read the purport and then just go with that. Uh, the group of transcendentalists who follow the path of the inconceivable, unmanifested, impersonal feature of the Supreme Lord are called yogi, yagna yogis. And persons who are full consciousness engaged in devotional service to the Lord are called bhakti yogis. Now, here are the difference between yagna, how do you say that word? Yana, 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 yana. Yoga and bhakti yoga is definitely expressed. The process of jnana yoga, although ultimately bringing one to the same goal, is very trouble troublesome. Whereas the path of bhakti yoga, the process of being in direct service to the supreme personality of Godhead, 
is easier and natural for the embodied soul. Uh, the individual soul is embodied since time immemorial. It's very difficult for him to simply theoretically understand that he is not the body. Therefore, the Bhakti Yogi accepts the deity of Krishna as worship of because it is some bodily conception fixed in the mind which can thus be applied. And so, immediately, I think, well, reading this, um, I thought, um, like how, you know, the material world is a reflection of the spiritual world. And even though, like, in these, you know, these gross material bodies, physical bodies, um, even, uh, even being in these gross physical bodies, um, in some way, um, it's reflecting the spiritual world because we're persons and we, it may not be a physical gross, uh, form, but we have a spiritual form and it's a, there's personality and, uh, and so I was thinking, um, even if like, you know, one wants to say, um, um, Can I put this in the words? I was trying to, because uh, I was, was I was reading it was just kind of like, just my thoughts were taking shape. Yeah, I just I um so I just okay so I was thinking how Krishna knows that we're in this embodied you know forms in this physical form, so he knows um so he's personally manifested and um different activities which can engage our senses and uh, ultimately purify them and and he knows what I think Krishna knows what we need because in the spiritual world we have senses too and so when we completely you know like when you just start um, like like if we're on the path of yajna yoga which we're completely restraining from any sense um, engagement at all we're just going into this deep meditation there's a part that's missing and uh, Prabhupada was saying the unmanifested realization is against the of the nature of his spiritual blissful self so even though he was saying ah, I can't find it it was saying that it it only touches with like when you're when you're in the um, worshiping the unmanifested the energies of the Lord, it's saying you're only engaging two parts of yourself, the knowledge and the um, eternal aspect, but not the blissful aspect, and that's only um, experienced through the senses, through, and so if we completely, you know, give away with our senses and not, you know, engage, we will will be missing that aspect of ourself. We won't be fully engaging it properly. And we'll be experiencing bliss. That's why, you know, when we reach even if we're reaching these like um, you know, these higher planetary systems, this like void, you know, we're not experiencing love. Because that comes with personal uh, our the personal aspect of ourself that is not being uh, that that's being ignored when we just and we just throw it away. But it makes sense because, um, you know, maybe our experience in the material world 
are associating with the material energy, the inferior, you know, the lower modes people are controlled by. And, you know, they, not only are we impure and contaminated, but they are, are contaminated as well. And so there's, maybe there's, there's some experience where people have where they just don't want to, they don't, they just want to see themselves as energy rather than a person because it's very difficult. Um, yeah, it's very difficult, so, um, yeah, like, yeah. The relationships are completely yeah. absent. Yeah, and it's completely um, opposite to what we experience with Krishna. And maybe we haven't came in contact with, like, a devotee or something, so we can't experience that love. Or, um, you know, so, and a lot of, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that we experience is, you know, it's a people uh, situation there. It's like really covered over. And so we can't really experience that. But when we come into Krishna consciousness, Krishna's, you know, through devotional service, he's manifested personally. And he knows that we're, you know, we have, like, he knows that we have senses when we're embodied. So he's coming in, like, he's coming in his deity form. He's coming as prashadam, so we can taste, we can see, we can hear the mantra. So he's completely manifested by every, his whole his potency is non different than himself, and it's and so we can we can uh, taste that that's, that superior energy um, because we're ultimately see, we're seeking we're seeking that, but. All right, so, yeah, so in this, um, I don't know if that made sense, but, um, okay, okay, so busted because it's centering attention. Okay, so, thus the process of centering attention on the unmanifested, the in, inconceivable, which is beyond the approach of the senses already expressed in the verse, which should never be encouraged at any time, especially in this age, you know. It's it's beyond the approach of the senses, and it's it's difficult in this age because we can't we can't we can't just go out and force. We have to. Um, there has to be some sort of action taken to um, to just even live in this world. So um, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. So I was just thinking. Yeah, I was thinking. Um, you know, in this, you know, this virtual world where it's just, you know, we're just in these bodies. But and I think that's why Krishna appears um, as a, as a, you know, he, he descends down to the material world and performs his pastimes too, so we can we can relish those as well. And it's, mm, yeah, so. Yeah, it's pretty much all. Yeah, I just uh, it's it's you hard because I did it last minute. You have to give us that blissful experience. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah, right, right, and experience ourselves completely. Mm -hmm. Not just partially or just because it's incomplete when it's just there's only we're engaging two aspects of ourselves. So we're missing one thing that's the most, most important, that's right? yeah the most important that will give us the most pleasure. It's like yeah. the eternity, eternity knowledge is a basis for the blissful experience. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> it's like you have a plate set up, you have a mm -hmm. restaurant, a plate, everything, and then you have a meal. 
Yeah, and then and um, so that bliss is experienced through the senses, even if we, if it be, you know, in this material world, that still the senses still need to be engaged because it's we have senses in the material world, right? We have. I mean, not in the spiritual world. We have we have senses, but they're of course they're completely. Um, they're not ju- they're not like these, but yet yeah, we're still. Well, these are a reflection. Of yeah, the reflection. So we can we can get an idea about how. Yeah, exactly. The, exactly. How it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I mean, when Krishna performs his exactly. pastimes, a lot of them seem like even pastimes, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. but they're not. Yeah, he's, it's not ordinary. Yeah, you know, his father's saying, I'm going to go bring my shoes and just get my shoes. Yeah. Put some on his head and just enjoy his father. Yeah. So that's <laughs> <laughs> a very pious student stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, so what, what's your application? My application? Uh, just continue to do devotional service with love and intention. And uh, yeah, and just always engage, always engage myself mm-hmm. the service of the Lord whether it be in prashadam or and to really absorb myself mm-hmm. in that process so I really like what you said you mm-hmm. said that Krishna he, he gives us the opportunity to engage our senses yeah so like he's the way he's dealing in this world is he's giving us a chance yeah to awaken those spiritual senses right mm-hmm. so that's the whole your application is um because our, our desires are experienced in the senses. If it, yeah. And if it's you know, misdirected, like if it's towards us, like if we're sending, let's grab, you know, sense gratification. But if it's, you know, in service to the Lord, it's, you know, like when we sense gratification, it's dry. Krishna, it's ever increasing. Yes, either through his material energy or directly through Krishna, he's giving us a chance to engage mm-hmm. the senses. Mm-hmm. And but your realization is Krishna's personally. Mm-hmm. Giving us the opportunity to engage and reawaken our spiritual senses. Yeah. So that's him personally intervening in, in the lives of the conditioned souls. Mm-hmm. It has caused us mercy to come to this world and allow us to, to reawaken that connection by awakening our spiritual senses yeah. and his service. Yeah. Because yeah. when we completely engage ourselves, that's when that's when we can transcend mm-hmm. the material world. Our spiritual senses are completely absorbed. Yeah. 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 Spiritual consciousness. Yeah. 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 So. Okay. Maybe want to add anything to that discussion? I was just thinking that you know, Bhakti Yoga says here is the purification of the senses. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is this whole entire process. The purpose of the process is to take the senses mm-hmm. that are being misused, essentially misdirected, mispointed. Like mm-hmm. you know, the trajectory of the senses. Like you know, you're missing the target. So it's like eventually we can get to the point where we purify our senses. And Krishna says, in, or Prabhupada says here, that for one in such Krishna consciousness, there are no material activities. Eventually, because everything is done for Krishna, so eventually at that point there's no distinction. Because even the material energy is now being used to satisfy the senses of Krishna. So everything becomes spiritual eventually. So there is, eventually we can get to the point where there is no distinction. That's the perfect setup. I think that's the perfect setup. Yeah. And Krishna, he knew what he was doing, you know. <laughs> Even though this was our creation, um, ultimately, he knew that he would create a way for us to reawaken that love for him 
and to be able to engage in what we've always done here on this in this material plane. I think that's absolute genius, and Krishna is just so kind to do that for us. He's created he he he's created this platform because of our because of our desires because of our selfish desires, but yet he's created a window of opportunity for us to take this very place that's created to fulfill our material desires and to become a place where we can fulfill his desires. <laughs> that's crazy. That's like wow. It just blows my mind when I think about that. So yeah, you just and, and it's your choice. It's your choice. Like you, it, the, the opportunity is there. You have the senses, like you were saying. It's not that we negate the senses. We don't negate them. Whereas there are other people who want to negate the senses, you were saying, people just... Because they're burnt. You know, it's like when someone falls in love and they get hurt, they get cheated on, then they don't want to fall back in love. Because they think, okay, this is what love's all about. So what they say, I don't ever want to be in a relationship. But then someone comes along and shows them something different. And shows them, wait a minute, this is different. So in the same way... The impersonalist can get to a point where they can realize, oh, it's not so much about withdrawing the senses, it's engaging them properly. So, I, I, I love what you said, it makes a lot of sense. So. The heart of Guru Jitani's mission was to convert the, the impersonalists. They're basically approaching a spiritual path, yeah. and although they're going the roundabout way, and they're oftentimes well, there's two categories. One are they're innocently trying to transcend through the path of Jnana Yoga. Mm -hmm. and the other paths are, are extremely envious of God. But many are, are elevated in consciousness and they just need a they just need a touch of a devotee. They right. that they need to have that transfer of the love of God from our hearts, from the hearts of a devotee to reach us. So um, I was thinking about the, the um, verse from Brahma uh, when uh, Mataji told about the pastimes of the Lord. Um, it's like verse 15, Ananda Chinmaya Rasatmataya Manasu Lilayit, I mean, Ananda Chinmaya Rasatmataya Manasu Yapraninam Pratikulan Smaratam Upetya Lilayitena Bhuvanani Lilayitena Bhuvanani Jayatya Ajashram. So it says, like in verse 15, I worship Govinda, the primeval Lord, whose glory ever triumphantly dominates the mundane world by the activity of his own pastimes being reflected in the mind of recollecting souls as the transcendental entity of ever-blissful cognitive rasa. So this activity of his own pastimes is what relishes us so much that he left us these pastimes for us to relish. So Mataji yeah. was saying about this, Krishna's pastimes. Yeah, in the same vein, the so he's saying that higher taste is rasa. So if you have eternity and knowledge, but you don't have rasa, in other words, you don't have a direct connection and, and a variegated personal relationship with God, then the, the happiness, the bliss is completely absent. So, so he's saying that higher taste that, is rasa. What verse is that? Uh, I believe that's Bhagavad Gita. 259. So right there he's saying to, to transcend these lower modes of nature, you have to you have to experience rasa. 
And rasa means the flavor and, and the personal, reciprocal, loving, affectionate connection with Krishna. So, right in the beginning of Bhagavad Gita, he's explaining how to overcome um, these senses that are um, taking us and pulling us away from our true nature, our blissful nature. So in the spiritual world, any any rasa we experience is always fresh and blissful. Mm-hmm. And it's always increasing. Mm-hmm. But in the spiritual world, when we experience happiness in this world, it always declines. Yeah. And, so and, we, and we lose taste for it. So boga means we want to enjoy, and then tyaga means we want to give up. Mm-hmm. So boga means, oh, look at that tasty um, yeah. uh, pizza. And then after you've had um, 15 slices. Each progressive each pro- progressive slice, you want to, you want to give up more, right? Yeah. So the first one tastes the best, and each one after that is diminishing returns. Yeah. Wow. So tiaga means give up. So in the material world, we're, we're always trying to relish the gratification of the senses, yeah. Yeah. and at the same time, we're always giving up yeah. once they get stale. So that's, but actually the whole nectar of devotion is all about bhakti rasa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's about the bliss of the soul, yeah. which the impersonalists completely deny, they completely don't realize that that is actually the only way to true happiness. Mm-hmm. So that personal connection. So. And Prabhupada explains, oh, well, we're running out of time, okay. Okay, so um, Radhasundari Mataji, she um, had her wisdom teeth pulled, right? Yes. So that's why she isn't with us tonight. So she's sent in. I, she, she's recovering nicely, I hear. Okay, good. So she sent in her um, discovery to share with us. So this is from the purport to text 5. The individual's soul is embodied from time immemorial. It is very difficult for him to simply theoretically understand that he is not the body. Therefore, the Bhakti Yogi accepts the deity of Krishna as worshipable because there is some bodily concep- conception fixed in the mind which can thus be applied. Wow, we were just talking about that. Mm-hmm. Understanding. Krishna is truly a know-it-all. Exclamation mark. <laughs> I hope that's not offensive. I just love it when he shows us over and over how all-encompassing and considerate he is. He knows our struggles so well that he provides the perfect solutions for all things. He knew some of us would need that physical aspect for us to be able to grasp the concept of him having a form and being a person as well as transcendentally teaching us that we are truly the soul and not the body. Oh, this is perfectly in line with what we were just talking about. The deity is absolutely something that he mercifully prescribed for our sake, not because he needs it. Once again, I am left drowning in an ocean of gratitude and humility. I am truly lost without Krishna, Gurudev, and his wonderful devotees. And Daitanya Lila says that's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) An application. May I keep cultivating my relationship with Gora Nitai and all the wonderful deities that have wonderfully manifested in my life by the mercy of Guru and Krishna 
so I can allow them to help me grow and deepen my love and devotion for Krishna. Very nice. Yeah, I mean, in Krishna, he extends himself in that way. Because it's not, it's not that we're just thinking for our sake that this deity form is God. Krishna actually becomes that deity form. He actually agrees to be personally present in that form and accept personal service. So therefore, he extends himself out of his causeless mercy um, just to allow us to purify our senses yeah. and to come to him. So, and the Acharyas are teaching that, that these are the two tracks that we're situated on, uh, which is Pancharachika, which is deity worship, and uh, Bhagavat Mark, which is mm-hmm. the chanting. So these simultaneous two tracks are grounding us to reach our destination, just like the train has to stay on the two tracks to not get derailed. So the deity worship is actually really significant and important. And that's why Prabhupada, you know, installed deities all over the world. Mm-hmm. And now if you go to India, especially Mayapur Vindavan, there's like unlimited now deities being created. <laughs> there's literally like t- probably hundreds of tens of tens of thousands of sets of deities now wow. that are being molded and people are taking into their homes and worshiping. So mm-hmm. it's really a uh, revolution. <laughs> So, first question here, like here, the same verse, Mataji is speaking. Therefore, the Bhakti Yogi accepts the deity of Krishna as worshipable because there's some bodily conception fixed in the mind, which can thus be applied. So, that, that means like, if we realize that we are not body, we are soul, then that said like, it's a different rather than worshipping deity at that time. Like, to an like, how, like how the revelation of the deity yeah, through, through like, a transformation of consciousness? Is so the initial process is like because we are still attached to this body, because we still think we are the body. So Prabhupada is saying, which can we try to serve the deity of Krishna that way because we are still, we know we are, we are not at that point that we are soul. So what would be the next stage like when we... So, when individual realizing mm-hmm. that they are so. So someone who is on an Uttamadikari platform, mm-hmm. um, they see Krishna with them, you know, at all times. Mm-hmm. And, and they also see Krishna fully in the holy names. And so they don't necessarily they have, have to be in deity. front of the deity mm-hmm. to realize that Krishna is with them or present before them. But it's not that even advanced souls don't want to engage with the deity. They definitely do. I mean, Lord Chaitanya is the, the premier example of a devotee. He's, he's setting the, the perfect mood of a, of a devotee. And he's always seeing, going to the temple of Jagannath. He's going to Vrindavan. He wants to see all the deities. Adan Mohan. Um, he wants to see all the deities. And um, so it's not that we transcend it. It's just that there's a deeper realization of Krishna's presence in our life mm-hmm. and, and being always absorbed in that relationship. Mm-hmm. Like for a pure devotee, mm-hmm. there's never a time when they're not actually with Krishna through their consciousness, mm-hmm. their conscious connection. Um, so it's, for a beginner, 
this process is really powerful because although they might not be able to see Krishna and see Krishna's pastimes, um, everywhere always be absorbed in this Leela that Krishna's having or be part of that Leela, but they can really feel that connection um, by being before the deity, worshiping the deity, touching the deity, serving the deity, cooking for the deity, cleaning the temple of the deity. So yeah, it's a very merciful process. Um, yeah, you don't see advanced devotees neglect the deity. Yeah. <laughs> In my understanding, what, what I kind of get from the deity in my own person, can you hold this for me? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Absolutely. In my in my personal experience with the deity, is that the deity, the relationship that I've cultivated with the deity has actually helped me realize that I'm not this body. So it's interesting because I, I, I see it as it's not so much about transcending that conception, but it's more so about relationship. It's about establishing personal relationship. So I think that's kind of how I see it. Like it's, for me, it's like, you know, Krishna has taken up this form, not so much for him, but more so for us in, in this conditional stage of life so that we can engage in, in personal relationship, dressing the deity. It's like that one pastime of that particular um, personality who wanted to dress the deity, but it was just a Shaligram Shila. You had no ability to do these things that you can do if there's a form. And ultimately, Krishna, um, you know, benedicted him by giving him that beautiful form of that deity that I think still exists today in, in Vrindavan somewhere. It's like a beautiful black deity made of a shaligram. So, I, so, so, yeah, that's kind of how I see it. Like, it's like, you know what I mean? Like, does that make sense? Like, it's like, it's about that relationship. It's like that cultivation of that relationship. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean that like we'll never neglect the deity, obviously, because when we see the deity, we think of Krishna. <laughs> and that's the point. The point is it, it, it's, it's reminding us of that relationship, that personal relationship with Krishna. Um, yeah. And that's his transcendental form, too. Yeah, that's, really that's, that's transcendental. Yeah, it's not even just any just regular body. And a deity form is actually yeah. Krishna. It's authorized yeah. by Krishna, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking another thing, like how Krishna, you know, devotees they have, like they've been empowered to even paint pastimes, mm -hmm. and how that, how we receive benefit from that, seeing visually seeing these pastimes taking place. I think that's another thing that we could really uh, we take in. You know, we receive so much benefit because it's like we can see it actually, because we hear it, you know, but to actually see it is another thing. Yeah. I, I told yeah. Prabhu probably yeah. he was in that Sankirtan. He was like, yes, he could paint it. Well, the Manav was right there. That's him back there. Yeah, the Manav blowing the trumpet right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had to shave his head. I'm the guy all the way in the back. I'm the guy all. <laughs> <laughs> To directly associate them with the Lord requires fully awakened spiritual senses and this very subtle platform. Mm -hmm. So when we're still embodied, mm -hmm. we can engage with the Lord through wood, through stone, yeah. these different ways that He manifests Himself. And but the consciousness is, is there in the spiritual world that sometimes Krishna's 
physically present, mm -hmm. so to speak, he's physically present before the gopis, for instance, or, or his parents, or the guardian, and sometimes he's not. But the thing is, is that because of that so-called physical presence, mm -hmm. then when he's not there, they're thinking about him. Mm -hmm. They're longing for him. So this is like that with the deity. So we, we, we become so close to the deity that we're not with the deity and thinking about the deity, wanting to go to the deity. Because in this embodied state, that becomes our, Govinda Manaprabhu was saying, it becomes our direct uh, so-called physical connection with Krishna. Mm -hmm. But we're actually directly associating with Krishna and his deity form. Mm. Just like Gurudev, he was dreaming of you know, dancing with Radhikalachanji. And then he actually got to experience, you know, having, he had to actually personal experience that. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, 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 just a, it's actually um, training for the spiritual world. We're actually doing the same activities, but relating with this body, mm. this gross body. Yeah, the Prabhuji was right. Yeah. Initially, because we have the bodily concept of life, Krishna gives. Uh, the deity form to transcend our body, bodily mm -hmm. form. Yeah, you are at an advantage to realize that you are the soul. Mm. I'm like, go to work, come, just to do all the duties. Still, like, we forget. I forget so much, Krishna. My thing is like, you know, you are blessed souls to no, be. No, you, know, you know what's really nice? You get a little cutout of Gornita. Like, you know, like, I, Lord, Niti, uh, Lord Nityananda Prabhu from Dallas, he gave me these little cutouts. And in the beginning, I knew nothing of, of Gornitai. So he, he didn't even say Gornitai. He said, just say dear sirs when you see these, these two oh, figures. Okay. I'm like, what is it? I just took it. I just took it. And I'm like, okay. So he gave me these little cutouts. And he said, Gornitai, the deities will always be with you. So you take it. You can put it in your shirt pocket. You can put it anywhere. And then Gornitai is with you everywhere you go. So the deities with you. And you can put it in your wallet, you can put it somewhere where you can see it. And if you need to speak and you're nervous, you can just remember the deities there and then you can say, you know, you can, you can say a little prayer. To, to, and he would say, just say, address them as dear sirs. <laughs> <laughs> so I would do that and I'd be like, dear sirs. Because I didn't know Gorunga, I didn't know Gorunga, I didn't know Nityananda. <laughs> so, Wasn't that a program at your house or something? Didn't you have that program? You know, that happened, that happened here during the whole 50 year anniversary because i remember i was at that yeah. program where he gave you those things. yeah it was like that time when we yeah. came for the whole 50 year anniversary it was that time and then we we just kept meeting up here and then we just kind of got to know each other and just started giving me all this stuff and he was trying to get you the butter i said no no no, no. yeah i'm getting i've already told him i'm getting you the butter <laughs> he sent me too he sent me i, was, I know you last thing I wanted to say because we're running yeah. out of time is I try to talk to my, my mother-in-law about this concept of the deity because she's Christian. So for her the, the idea is so foreign because she comes from a background of Christianity. So for them it's like anything that any any image, any image is considered idol worship. They don't understand that this was actually authorized and prescribed by Krishna so that we can relate to him personally. And I was trying to explain that to her and what's interesting is eventually we got to a point where she can understand that some people need that. And maybe some people might not, and that's okay. But, the, you know, what I couldn't get across from her is like those devotees that are much more advanced, they can recognize that Krishna has a personal form. It's not so, because I told her, okay, so then when you think about God, what do you see? 
what comes to mind? And they can't really give you an answer. It's just like, well, I think about this all-powerful, you know, light. What do we do with the kids? That right. Exercise? Yeah. We asked the kids. We said we had one question because there's a game, and we said, do you, do you believe God is personal? There's different options. Most of them got it wrong. Yeah. Most it was like, about, do you believe God's a person? Yeah, God do you believe person? God's a person? God, is God a person? Like five out of seven groups. These aren't just individuals. Five out of seven groups of like eight kids mm-hmm. got this question wrong. Right. They think God's impersonal. Right. Do you know what I was thinking recently? I was just thinking to myself just recently how like in like in the Bible it speaks about demons and angels and the devil and they're all personified in the form. And I was thinking like why doesn't I was just thinking about the other day, like, you know, you when you think of the devil you have this do you think of a person? You have a person, a person, a devil's a person, demons are persons, angels are persons. So I'm thinking, why wouldn't God be a person then? Why wouldn't he be, have a form then? If all of these other, you know, all of these other, um, all, the other all of these other things are personified in a form. That's what I was thinking the other day, but... I just. Jesus <laughs> <laughs> was laying the ground. Because people, but people always say demons and angels, but you know God, you know, they're you know, coming from like God must have one as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, I'm convinced that a lot of people, when they think of Krishna in his two-armed Shamasundar form, they equate that with like um, mundane temporality. They equate that. They don't. They don't see that as as non different from you know. That's Krishna. That's his. That's his original form. So they equate it with their perception of what form is, which is limited. So immediately for us, for us to think that God has a form is limiting in some way. So they don't want to go there. That's how my stepmom. That's the vibe she gives me. She doesn't want to go there because I'm limiting God now. Because through their, you know their I mean? experience, I'm making them small. I'm making them really small. But God is great. And I'm like, yeah, I agree with you. We're, we're on the same page. God is great. But he has a form. Yeah. You know? And so, so there's, you know. <laughs> well, I think, the key, I think the key to that, too, is, and I've, you know, I've had debates in uh, college with that sort of uh, mentality, too, as well. Right. And I said, why can't God have thousands of forms? I mean, yeah. and he does. You know? And so that was my, always my thing. You know, well, well pick one. <laughs> you know? I mean there's thousands of them. You know, God has a thousand faces, you know, for different cultures and different times, different things. And we're thinking on a scholarly level with all this. Right. But the but the idea is just that that what form is the most approachable? Right. What is the most approachable for this age, for this time, for this period? What has always been most approachable forever. and personable yeah. and forever? Right. You know, so again, there's a lot of factors to that. That's true. You know, to consider. Well, the Vedas, you know, they come from Krishna, and unless someone has access to those teachings passed down through the Prampara, then their knowledge is going to be limited mm-hmm. or flawed in different ways. So they have partial knowledge. And Jesus really laid the groundwork for people to take their Krishna consciousness because he actually, when you start to come out of that trance of dogmatic sectarianism that's become a large part of the Christian church, you begin to see that Jesus was talking a lot about this person, that this, yeah. this being that sounds like a person, like we're going to sit at the right hand of, of God the Father together and commune with God. Yeah. So it, it sounds like a person, but the thing is, it's because they have partial knowledge, then when they reach that limit of the knowledge they're given, then from that point they have to speculate. Right. Because they can't know beyond that. Because 
ultimately this knowledge like we were reading about Srila Prabhupada was explaining has to be revealed and it's revealed through devotees mm-hmm. depending on their um, their realized knowledge mm-hmm. passed down through the Prampara so it works in all places and all times mm-hmm. but different realized souls have different realization and also sometimes they share in different degrees depending on the time, place, and circumstance. Like Buddha, he was God himself, but he didn't share everything. Right. He shared partial knowledge. Cool. I'm going to share real quick, if yeah, you don't mind, please. I'll share no, mine. Please, please. And then, because we're, we're over time. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. <laughs> i got to do my guide tree before. Uh, okay, so, Mari Mohini, she's not going to be able to share this week, but she's going to catch up, because we're not going to have class next week, because we have a preaching program in Safford, Arizona. So we're going to skip a week. Okay. Okay. Gurudev's going, and you all can ride with Gurudev and get his association. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's earlier program, so it's like four o'clock. So you all can ride up with Gurudev and have his association, and then come back. I think. So it'll be sweet. He's gonna be back. Yeah, we're we're picking him up on Tuesday. Yeah. So Mari Mini can catch up because she was a little sick, and then she has something. She's trying to get her green card and just different things. So, okay, so this is from 12.9. Bhakti yoga is a purification of the senses. The present moment material existence, the senses are always impure, being engaged in sense gratification. But by the practice of bhakti yoga, these senses can become purified, and in the purified state, they come directly in contact with the Supreme Lord. In this material existence, I may be engaged in some service to some master, but I don't really lovingly serve my master. I simply serve to get some money. And the master also is not in love. He takes service from me and pays me. So there's no question of love. But for spiritual life, one must be elevated to pure stage of love. That stage of love can be achieved by practice of devotional service performed with the present senses. So then understanding. In this 12th chapter, Lord Krishna concisely and definitively states the highest path of realization and perfection of existence is loving devotional service to Lord Krishna, as opposed to the impersonal path. However, he also states that in the end, all transcendentalists will ultimately achieve him. Is this an anomaly? No, it is simply a factual statement that every transcendental path leads ultimately to the supreme path of bhakti-yoga. Krishna has already stated that he is the goal of all, goal in all the Vedas he is to be known. He also emphasizes that bhakti yoga is the perfection of yoga at the end of the sixth chapter. Srila Prabhupada in the above purport is explaining how this state of loving affection for the Lord can be achieved through the process of bhakti yoga, which purifies the heart of material attachments. However, it is clearly expressed that not everyone who is a transcendentalist can jump to that high platform of pure love. Therefore, we can see clearly that the application of bhakti yoga is difficult for the embodied soul, although he the process is simple, Srila Prabhupada. So the process is simple, but the application is difficult. Because the application is difficult, Lord Krishna mercifully allows all classes of transcendentalists to gradually come to this elevated platform. So the differences of the processes are not in the end result. The result of love of Godhead will come. The difference is the amount of time it will take to attain the ultimate realization. So... Understanding, Krishna clearly states that the best and quickest process to attain pure love for him is sadhana bhakti, the verse that you read. Therefore, Srila Prabhupada has given us the perfect formula to dive into sadhana and please the Lord through our dedication. I pray to take advantage of Srila Prabhupada's beautiful program and thus attain the full mercy of love of God, which is given. 
Like when he sees we're serious, and we follow the spiritual master with sincerity, then Krishna, he can choose. I get now I, I, I reveal myself. Mm. And when he reveals himself, we automatically love. Because Krishna's so sweet, mm. so beautiful. <laughs> so when he reveals himself, we, we, have, we have to love. Not that we're forced, but we, we will. Mm. We definitely do. <laughs> okay. Okay. Mm.